This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. It was the story, of course, that grabbed the headlines over the holidays. We all heard about the pilot, the Sunwing pilot, allegedly drunk uh, to the point where um, he had passed out in the cockpit and uh, crew members had notified authorities and eventually the plane did take off with a new pilot. I don't want to focus so much on Miroslav Groanich because that case is going to be working its way through the courts. I want to talk about the bigger issue of pilots and what are the rules when it comes to the last time they can consume alcohol before they fly, some of the regulations around that. Dr. Ashley Nunez is a transportation policy analyst, joins us today. Hello, Dr. Nunez. Hello, good afternoon. And first of all, is it Nunes or is it Nunes? Uh, Nunes is fine. Perfect, perfect. Ashley, I want to um, look specifically when it comes to some of the rules and regulations for pilots and alcohol. Is this set by individual airlines or are these federal regulations that pilots have to adhere to? Well, these are set um, by the government itself. Um, and then the airline has the option of implementing more stringent regulations. But there is a bare minimum that the airline has to adhere to, of course. All right. So when it comes to those government regulations, what are what are they? Well, in Canada, for example, uh, Canada has a requirement that at least eight hours pass between a pilot's last drink um, and reporting for duty. Um, and there is this additional requirement that states that Canadian pilots are prohibited from flying while they are, quote-unquote, under the influence of alcohol. And that's the Canadian requirement. Um, of course, in the United States, it's a little bit different. In the U.S., uh, it also requires that eight hours pass, but you cannot have a blood alcohol level of above 0.04. In the United Kingdom, it's 0.02. So it varies by country. Uh, okay, so, and in Canada, it's not 0.08, it's just they're prohibited from driving, uh, flying under the influence? That is correct. The, the, the verbiage that is used in the, um, in the aviation regulation itself is you cannot, you're prohibited under the influence of alcohol, which raises questions in and of itself. Now, it's one thing to say that you have eight hours from your last drink, but does that necessarily take into consideration how much alcohol you have consumed prior to that last drink? How much is in your system? Because we have often heard of people, and gosh, there was just a case in Saskatchewan, I think it was last month, that some woman from a Christmas party at nine in the morning was three times over the legal limit. So I, I'm just I'm wondering, though, the concern that you how how much alcohol you have consumed prior to that last drink. No, that's exactly correct. That's very possible to consume large volumes of alcohol, have eight hours pass, show up for work, and still be legally intoxicated, uh, which is why um, airlines like Sunwing, for example, actually require that 12 hours pass. And that's part of the reason why in countries like the United States, um, you also cannot have a blood alcohol content of above 0.04, that's the, you know, that's the we sort of um, that's built into the system. Now, in Canada, we don't have that type of very explicit fail-safe. It just says you can... 
Ashley, you know what? We are uh, tending to lose your signal here, and I don't want to miss any of the details in the message. So, you know, Patrick, I think we'll take a break here, and Ashley, we'll give it another try just to see if we can get a better connection, all right? All right. Dr. Ashley Nunez, he's a transportation policy analyst and uh, just trying to drill into some of the details when it comes to pilots who decide to drink prior to flying. I'm Angela Kokot. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. I'm Angela Kokot. You're listening to Calgary Today and I am crossing my fingers. We have a better connection with Dr. Ashley Nunez. Hello, Dr. Nunez. Hello. Okay, let's try this. He is a transportation policy analyst, and we are talking about the issue of drunk pilots. First of all, maybe a question is, is it a problem? Or maybe it's hard to answer because we don't have really good statistics. But do you, do you know if it is a problem when it comes to pilots getting behind the wheel of a plane and flying drunk? Um, what you said initially is exactly correct. Um, we don't know how much of a problem it is because there isn't enough data on this particular topic. In Canada specifically, um, part of the reason why there isn't enough data um, is because, as you, your, your, your audience is probably aware, there is a Supreme Court ruling that essentially uh, puts the right to privacy above workplace safety which is why employers cannot, can't do random alcohol and drug, drug testing in the workplace. Okay, that's the Supreme Court decision, but we're talking about someone who is responsible for the safety of 300, 400 passengers. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, if you read the exact Supreme Court decision, what it says is, um, you know, such uh, testing might be permitted if there is evidence of a general problem. The question becomes, what is a general problem? Um, you know, uh, as you correctly point out, when you are entrusted with the lives of hundreds of people, uh, presumably intoxicated can be a problem. It can have um, quite devastating repercussions. Um, and it's a very interesting question as to how general of a problem does it have to be before an employer, like an airline, has the right uh, to test its pilots for intoxication. And we're talking about just uh, uh, random testing, or it would be uh, you'd have to have mandatory testing before a pilot got into a cockpit? Well, it depends on the country. In the United States, for example, um, it is random testing. Um, in a country like India, it is mandatory testing. So every single pilot, before that pilot boards an airplane, he or she is tested for alcohol um, consumption. And then, Ashley, I'm, I'm interested because if in India it's mandatory, what did they find? Because at least there's some of the, the statistics we might be looking for. What did they find when it came to Indian pilots driving while intoxicated, flying? I keep saying driving. <laughs> well, remarkably, I mean, it, it's hard to believe, but in 2015, for example, they had 43 pilots um, who failed the alcohol test. Um, and what's remarkable about that figure is the fact that you know you are going to be tested when you show up to work. Mm -hmm. And yet you still have people who presumably fall over the limit when they actually show up. And does this go back, though, to people not really being uh, fully aware of how intoxicated they are because I sometimes we, we hear the same arguments when it comes to getting behind the wheel of a car that people think that they may not be as intox intoxicated as they really are. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, if, if you review a lot of the studies that have been done on this, one of the 
the, the main findings is the fact that pilots in particular are very bad at judging whether or not they are under the influence of alcohol. Um, you know, studies time show that they frequently overestimate how much alcohol they can actually consume. Um, and they also underestimate how much time must pass before the effects of alcohol wear off. Um, so to put it bluntly, they think they can drink more than they should and are inclined to return to work sooner than mm. they should. Yeah, and especially if, you know, you, you hear of pilots and their crew, they've had long flights, they have a chance to unwind, have a few glasses of wine after dinner, and uh, then realize how quick it is before they have to get back in that cockpit. Now, under the law, though, if, let's say, a crew members suspect that a pilot is intoxicated, can you order a test then, or can you, I mean, obviously in the case of the Sunwing, there was some suspicions raised and they brought in authorities, but would there be a problem with having a, um, an alcohol test if there is the suspicion of being intoxicated? No, there would not. I mean, if you, if you have reason to suspect that a crew member or a fellow crew member is under the influence of alcohol, um, you, 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 know, you would report it to the relevant authorities and an alcohol test would be administered at that point in, in time. Um, I mean, and, and, that's, and that's how the system worked in this particular case. But, you know, I also want to emphasize that, you know, in, most people talk about whether or not someone is intoxicated when they show up to work. You know, being intoxicated is one part of the equation, but as you are probably aware, um, it, it's often the case that we still suffer from the undesirable effects of alcohol long, long after that last drink. Uh, you know, things like bad judgment and headaches. And you know, studies generally show that these effects last for up to 72 hours or three days after your last drink. So that can also impair how well a pilot is flying the airplane. I think a lot of people are, when that case originally came out, um, and of course there's lots of different stories about it, whether or not uh, the crew suspected it, but a lot of people would say if if this person allegedly had a blood alcohol level more than 0.08, how did he even get as far as the cockpit to the point where they say that he was passed out in the cockpit? Which is another excellent question. I mean, I, you know, there, there was a case a couple of weeks ago of an Indonesian pilot, and they have released video footage of him going through a security checkpoint in Indonesia, and he's stumbling all over the place. Uh, he can barely stand, and the security personnel have to sort of help him grab his belongings. It's quite remarkable to watch the video, and he still manages to make it to the airplane um, before he's finally stopped by some of his crew members and reported for alcohol consumption. I'm glad you saw that because I saw it as well and I didn't want to ask you if you hadn't seen it before. But yeah, and he's wobbling and everything. So whose responsibility is it to raise the red flag as quickly as possible? Well, you know, they often say in the, in the aviation industry that safety is a team sport. So in theory, it's anyone's responsibility. I mean, presumably it's a passenger's responsibility as well if that passenger has reason to believe that a particular pilot or a crew member might be under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Sometimes, though, in team sports, you're always protecting your team. Yes, um, which is part of the reason why, which is part of what I was alluding to in the piece I wrote recently, uh, yesterday, actually, in the Globe and Mail. Um, you know, essentially the idea that, you know, people try to protect each other and unions, for example, might have a vested interest in sort of protecting their members when it comes to, you know, alcohol and alcohol consumption, random testing specifically. So... Ashley, what would you like to see done then when it comes to making sure our planes are safe with uh, the pilots who are flying them? 
Well, I think that random testing, I mean, we need to collect more data on this particular topic, and there is a staggering shortage um, of good data. There needs to be random testing. Um, you know, there, there are no if ands about it, uh, because all we ever hear as well, we've never ever had a, you know, nothing bad has happened, therefore it must be okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, that, that offers small comfort to me if someone says, well, only three pilots last year in Canada, for example, uh, you know, were caught uh, being intoxicated. Uh, you know, what if one of those three pilots were your pilots? I think the, um, you know, uh, things will change very, very quickly. So I would like to see random testing. I would also like to see, uh, you know, legislators and, uh, you know, the government itself try to get a better sense of what, uh, you know, a general problem of substance actually is uh, specifically in the aviation industry. Someone's even going so far as to saying you should install blow boxes in planes, buses, and trains. The engine doesn't start if they blow over. I mean, maybe there's, gosh knows, we've got the technology for lots of things, but uh, maybe even something like that, at least then the pilot can prove that, yeah, I'm, I'm fine to fly and, um, and can do that. Absolutely. And, you know, scientists have come out and, you know, some people have, have sort of crunched the numbers. And what they've actually found is that administering breathalyzer tests on the flight deck, automated breathalyzer, similar to what you're talking about in regards to vehicles, for, actually, for airlines and for regulators compared to just having these spot checks done, you know, in the terminal itself. So, Interesting. Ashley, uh, thanks so much for sharing some time with us today. Thank you so much. Dr. Ashley Nunez, he's a transportation policy analyst. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.